You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I got to sit down with Patrick Scheel. Patrick is a registered dietitian and nutritionist with NutriSense Continuous Glucose Monitor. He is a strength and conditioning guy. We are going to talk all about testosterone and blood sugar management and metabolic health. This episode is for the guys. We keep it short and sweet and absolutely what you need to know. And we geek out just enough to give you guys exactly what you need. So I hope you enjoy the episode. It was a blast speaking with Patrick. Let's jump in. Electrolyte imbalances are so common and can cause symptoms such as headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, dizziness, weakness, and more. I finally committed to using electrolytes daily and wow, have I noticed a difference in my energy and my performance in the gym. While I've tried nearly all the brands, my current electrolyte of choice is Element. Element helps anyone stay hydrated without the sugar and other dodgy ingredients found in popular electrolyte and sports drinks. And it's so tasty. Grapefruit salt is my current favorite flavor. Element has everything you need and nothing you don't. That means science-backed electrolyte ratios with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I've teamed up with Element and they've been gracious enough to offer a free gift with purchase to listeners of the Dr. Tina show. The free gift Element sample pack includes one packet of every flavor. This is the perfect offer for anyone who's interested in trying all of their flavors. They offer a no questions asked return policy on all orders and you don't even have to send the product back. This offer is exclusively available for Dr. Tina show listeners. So be sure to use the link in the show notes to take advantage of it now. Hey, exciting announcement. Buy Optimizer's Black Friday mega sale is happening now and will last throughout the entire month of November. Listen carefully because this mega deal is available only for my listeners, only with my code. This year, I challenge you to make your health a top priority. Instead of those impulse purchases, let's focus on what really matters. And sleep quality should be high on that list if you want improved metabolic health. Lately, I've been taking Magnesium Breakthrough from Buy Optimizer's at night, and it's been awesome. Magnesium Breakthrough combines all seven critical forms of magnesium into one convenient bottle, which supports a balanced inflammatory response, promotes healthy restorative sleep and a better stress response. Bioptimizer's Black Friday mega sale is happening right now and lasting throughout the entire month of November. The biggest discount you can get and amazing gifts with purchase are available only on my page at bioptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Tina and use my code Dr. Tina. This is the best value you'll find on Magnesium Breakthrough and you won't find a better deal anywhere else, even on Amazon. Choose health over unnecessary things this Black Friday. Head to bioptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Tina and enter code Dr. Tina at checkout. Your well-rested, calmer and healthier self will thank you. Dr. Patrick Scheel, welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. You are a registered dietitian and, and nutritionist with NutriSense, and we are going to dive into all things testosterone and blood sugar. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Because I don't know your backstory. How did you get into this line of work? Yeah, sure. So I am a registered dietitian. Uh, early on in my career, I started as a public health nutritionist, actually, oh. working in a public health setting, uh, more of a community nutrition type deal. And then from that, I moved on to a private hospital. And I worked as a clinical dietitian, seeing patients. And I spent most of my time actually in the ICU. And wow. That, yeah. So the the mentality that really drove me into was, wow, more data is better. <laughs> Simply put, uh, you know, you, you're in the ICU, you're getting labs done, usually hourly, uh, sometimes more than that, because we want to take care of these critically ill patients, we need more data on them. Um, and that actually scales that that carries over when you are trying to do something health wise, if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to put on muscle, uh, no matter what your health and wellness goals are, it helps to have more data points. And I really noticed that when I spent a lot of time in the ICU, I would help these pharmacists prescribe tube feedings or, uh, or parenteral nutrition, you know, through the IV. And then we got feedback much quicker than we would out on the floor. So I loved it. I loved being in the ICU. A lot of dietitians don't uh, clinically, but I liked it. And when I started talking with the people at NutriSense, I started getting really interested in the idea of analyzing continuous glucose monitor data because it's just more data. You know, we have this data and I was thinking, what would it be like if I could help people out with this continuous data with access to this 24 seven glucose curve? 
And, uh, and I've come to find out talking more with a lot of the nutri- nutritionists at NutriSense, we were all kind of in this on the same page. We all, a lot of us came from clinical backgrounds. A lot of us came from backgrounds where we didn't have the best tools to help the people we were trying to help. And I think if you ask any nutritionist that works for NutriSense now, this is just priceless data to have. It really helps us steer the boat. It really helps us help our members to get closer to their wellness goals. Absolutely. I'm so glad I asked you because that's fascinating. I had no idea. I had no idea you had that background. That's crazy. I mean, that's talk about seeing really extreme sides of things because, you know, ICU, not saying that people get themselves in there, but from all of the doctors and nurses that I've spoken to from all over the world, I have a pretty large social media platform. And so I hear from them a lot. And, you know, I mean, public health is generally, I mean, folks are kind of a train wreck at this point, right? And so you're probably seeing a lot of people on the extreme ends of things. And then over in the NutriSense world, it's, I'm betting more of that. I'm sure it's all walks of life, but a lot of people really trying to optimize and like dial in and see really where they stand with things to kind of get that, what's that edge I can give myself with this data by using this monitor. And uh, I'm, I'm just guessing. Is that, does that, ring true at all? Like you're seeing kind of, you probably were looking at polar opposite ends of things for a while. Oh, complete opposites. If, if you know, health is a spectrum and, of you know, wellness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, in the ICU, I'm catching them when they're sick. They're obviously very sick because we're trying to keep them alive. So that's one end. And then you have, when I started with NutriSense, uh, you know, getting a lot of people who were more biohacker type people, who want to do an experiment maybe with a carnivore diet or a ketogenic diet or a kind of we're thinking outside the box and wanted to experiment with something else that they read and thought might work for them. And that's what the CGM helps do for you. It empowers you uh, to implement a plan and then get more frequent, consistent feedback rather than following up you know, with your doctor or with a dietitian, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. You know, It's important just like annual labs are important but when you get that more granular data, and especially when you have it as a tool to help people, it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot better. It's a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this about the NutriSense app in particular, because I've used CGMs clinically with patients and the ones that we use are, you know, you slap, it's the same device. It's the exact same device on the arm and then you scan it and the way you're scanning it is really looking at trends in blood sugar. You're not looking at this granular, minute, hour by hour, almost minute by minute that you can get with NutriSense. That's why I like NutriSense is because I can get really granular and be like this meal or this stressful event or this lack of sleep or whatever did exactly this versus kind of like what happened that whole day. I did want to say something just, I know this is off topic. We don't have to get into it, but Something that I really want people to understand that is so critical. And one of the things that I, I kind of went gunning against the narrative during COVID because early, like first week on, I was like, you guys, the data coming out of China is screaming that those who are diabetic are having the worst time. So like, let's get our blood sugars under control. And that was my whole platform during or prior to for years, like metabolic health. And so it's really interesting. It's an interesting phenomena and you've probably seen this on the clients you work with through NutriSense and probably in the ICU, when your body is under siege, your blood sugar goes crazy. So when you're walking, the way you walk into something, your metabolic health, your blood sugar regulation and metabolic flexibility as you walk into any kind of onslaught, whether it be an upper respiratory virus or uh, anything is critical in how you're going to get through that, I believe. That's that is sort of the delineating factor. If you walk in with really, really brittle blood sugars into anything, it's it's kind of a crushing blow to the system. If you again, if you look at kind of a spectrum of you know maybe fit to unwell, whatever situation you're going into, whether it be uh, an interview or a life threatening illness, I mean your body is just going to respond to it better <laughs> if you are more on the fit side. Uh, you know, patients we had back you know, in my days, in my clinical days in the ICU, uh, you know, a lot of them kind of were in the same situation where it was usually some kind of blood sugar dysregulation. Uh, When I would talk to them afterwards, if I was able to, they really didn't get a whole lot of guidance 
Uh, usually it was something along the lines of, you know, eat less carbohydrate, eat this, do that uh, without really any kind of consistent, you know, measurable way to keep track of that. Um, you know, besides assuming they're getting like A1C done and assuming they're going, going and getting their uh, blood work done. But a lot of people don't. And right. especially when you think of, uh, you know, maybe men are a little more reluctant <laughs> to do that as well. Uh, so oftentimes you would see, you know, blood sugar dysregulation, um, cardiovascular disease, uh, kidney disease, going into these situations when you're now maybe put on life support and you're kind of, you know, there's a quote where, uh, that I really like, we don't rise to the occasion, we fall to our training. So whatever preparation, preparation you put into something, however well you're taking care of something, uh, your body's no different. Just like you would practice uh, maybe for an interview or you would practice before a game or whatever you're competing in. You wouldn't just show up and expect everything to go exactly how you felt like it's going to because you're in the mood right now and you're motivated. Uh, your body, it, it doesn't work that way and your body doesn't work that way. Uh, when you show up to things in a more healthy state, you're just going to have a better outcome. And that's, I, I'd imagine, I haven't seen, I can't think of any literature specifically off the top of my head, but I, I did see that in the ICU for sure. And you could assume that's the case. People that come in with better health, um, maybe not a history of diabetes, their, you know, their heart's in good shape, uh, renal labs look good, uh, maybe they, they're exercising regularly and eating a decent diet, um, they would have better health, health outcomes and usually not have to be put on life support like intubation and things like that. Yep. That's it. That's why I hound people during the late summer, early fall months to really, and even now, you know, even this late into to winter, like figure it out, figure out where you stand and work on it because even little incremental efforts towards the goal of better metabolic health, it kicks in immediately. I mean, it, yes, it takes about 90 days to see changes on labs, but it only takes a few weeks to start to see changes on glucose or, you know, CGM, like things you start to see it pan out, inflammation goes down, et cetera. So we're going to talk about men and testosterone. And I, you know, ladies listening, this applies to you too, because testosterone is a hormone we all need. I did a whole podcast episode on it. You guys can listen to it. I'll I'll link it in the show notes, but testosterone, metabolic health, testosterone and blood sugar handling. Let's dive in. Yeah, sure. So when we talk, you know, poor metabolic health, uh, insulin resistance, you know, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, all these things, a lot of times we don't jump right to testosterone, right? Or uh, hormonal balance. We don't think about those things. And especially for young men, you know, you don't, you think whatever, you know, uh, stress, I can handle it. Uh, sure, I know I, sh- I could probably lose a few pounds or doctor saying um, my blood sugar is a little bit dysregulated. It's a little bit high, um, you know, whatever, right? But the thing is, there is a very, very d- distinct um, known relationship between metabolic health and testosterone levels and more specifically glucose control and testosterone levels. Um, as we see the progression of insulin resistance, we tend to see lower testosterone levels. Um, there's a lot of different mechanisms and things that kind of are interwoven in there that you can talk about, proposed mechanisms, what's actually happening. But we do know, for example, that insulin resistance causes a uh, lower uh, secretion of the Leydig cells in the testicles to secrete testosterone, which is kind of interesting. Uh, there's one study that looked at testosterone production from the testicles and they looked at also luteinizing hormone, you know, which is stimulated from the pituitary gland to stimulate the production of, of, uh, of testosterone. And they didn't see any disruption. They saw normal uh, regulation of luteinizing hormone. So the luteinizing hormone was being released. Um, there's something that it actually does in the testicles, apparently, because luteinizing hormone was being released, but the testosterone production uh, was decreased the more that we saw insulin resistance. So there's a direct relationship there. And you see this through a lot of different studies. There was one where I think it was 2020, they looked at over 300 pre-diabetic men that were also symptomatic of low testosterone. And they split them into two groups. And they treat they treated one of them with testosterone injections. This was an eight-year-long observational study. And then they looked at the results after eight years, they followed up with them. Uh, well, none of the men that were treated progressed to diabetes. Um, and... of them were actually below the threshold uh, per A1C of being pre-diabetic. Whereas in the group that was not treated with testosterone, um, over 40% of them progressed to diabetes. 
So it's like, there's just, there's this clear relationship where it's like, okay, healthy testosterone levels, healthy, normal sex hormone, you know, regulation is definitely helping um, with uh, keeping blood sugars more stable, but also when we have this insulin resistance, when we have blood sugar dysregulation, that's definitely not doing anything for our sex hormone production as well, right? Let's back up a second so that everybody understands exactly what you just said. So luteinizing hormone, which is happening in the brain, sends the signal to the testicles, just so everyone understands, sends the signal to the testicles to make testosterone. Insulin resistance was not impacting that signal, something was busted in the testicles. Some process was not working right when it came to testosterone production. Is that correct, what I'm hearing you say? That's correct, yeah. And I usually, I, I like saying that because what's really interesting is all the other stuff's happening too. We also do see instances where um, different uh, downstream effects of poor metabolic health will disrupt that signal, right? Like yes. we can lead to poor sleep, higher cortisol levels, all these things, and we will see disruption, right? Um, obesity in general mm -hmm. is going, you're going to see more inflammation. You're going to see higher aromatase levels. You're going to see higher conversion of testosterone to estrogen, right? That's all on the table too. But we do also see that at a cellular level within the, within the testicles is there's also something happening, which is interesting, right? Um, so I think my point is that there's all these angles, you know, so, so much to talk about there where there's all these different angles where poor metabolic health is directly impacting so many different areas of our wellness and health. And I think testosterone is an important one to talk about um, because when we look at things like erectile dysfunction, you also see that testosterone, uh, when it's functioning normally, is going to act on the endothelial cells You know, in our vascular system. It's going to help produce nitric oxide. Well, if we're having insulin resistance and we're having chronically high blood sugars, not only are we having structural damage to our vascular system, that's decreasing this nitric oxide is causing all these other, you know, increasing our risk for other chronic health conditions. Um, but at the same time, insulin resistance is also decreasing testosterone levels. So you have the structural damage and you also have the functional and signaling damage to this happening. Absolutely. And then let's reiterate what you said about testosterone being beneficial. I've always said to guys as they age, I'm like, if you're not I, I firmly believe this. I believe that most women over 40 should be on a little thyroid. And I believe most men over 40 should be considering some kind of level of TRT, even if we're like literally microdosing it. If your testosterone is low, you might as well have one foot in the grave. That's what I tell men. So whether they're doing it naturally or whether they're doing it with replacement, if your T is low, as you get into middle age, you might as well have one foot in the grave and you will end up with diabetes. So for the folks listening, this is a chicken and egg phenomenon. Like- the T is driving good metabolic health. Poor metabolic health is driving low T. We see the problem. So where can we have direct impact? We can control some of these variables pretty well through our lifestyle management, right? Through good metabolic health practices. So anyway, I'll let you continue. When we take control of our metabolic health, when we look closer at, okay, what are we eating? What's going on? Uh, you know, what am I actually eating every day? Have I ever tracked exactly what I'm eating every day? Uh, we know through nutrition literature that our own self-report and self-recollection of what we're doing and what we're eating is very poor. It's very unreliable. Uh, if you're going to try to put everything in your head and kind of count the, the amount of protein you're eating every day, um, you can probably eventually get to that point. But if you're trying to track everything and you think you can just do it from recollection, um, the literature suggests that is very, very uh, difficult to do if you've never practiced it for years and years and years. So what can you do? Um, you can look closer at data. You can use tools that are going to really serve you well. And uh, tracking is probably like the first thing I always suggest is, okay, what exactly is going on here? When was the last time you tracked? Um, I mean, I, you know, with everything that I know, I still will sit down and track everything for at least two weeks every like six months or so just to see where I'm at. Because one of the other things to consider too is we go through stages, right? We go through seasons. Um, we get new jobs. We... Uh, you know, we have a breakup, we get in a new relationship, we have a dog, we have this, we have that. Things change in our life. And rarely does one thing ever change in our life. We usually, just as we change things and things change us, it usually, usually impacts multiple areas of our life, right? So that's going to include um, how you're eating. So that's why I always, once you get in the habit of tracking, I always recommend to make it a habit of at least a few times a year because we want to see what's going on. Um, so and especially if you can track and you can couple that with something like a continuous glucose monitor, 
it's just, it's a, it's an awesome combination because again, you're getting that granular data. You're seeing exactly where are these swings and when are they happening? And not only nutrition uh, is important, but, you know, we always talk about the four pillars of health, which are nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress. You can see exactly what's going on on a granular, granular level in all of those areas of your wellness. And I think it starts though with that first step, you know, someone who maybe that doesn't sound cool to, ah, that sounds like a lot. Let's start with taking a look and assessing because we know as, as, uh, as practitioners, the first thing we want to do is we want to assess what's going on, right? You need to see what's in front of you and look what you actually have to work with. And then you can start pinpointing strategies. And, you know, I got to say what's awesome about our program and what really sets NutriSense aside is that you have a, a, an experienced nutritionist with you for the first 30 days of every subscription for free. So it really, really helps kind of uh, take a tool that could be a little more complicated if you've never used it before, but extremely beneficial. And you have a friend there for the first 30 days to kind of kind of walk you through, okay, this is how this is related to your goals. This is exactly what we should probably focus on um, and then take it from there. It's so helpful. First of all, the app is really easy to track my food. I'm not a big macro tracker because I I struggled with eating disorders my whole life. So like getting that granular with my food really, I don't know, it triggers me. But I do want to track my protein intake and because I'm terrible. I'm notoriously terrible about getting enough protein. So I found it to be incredibly easy to use. And there's an AI component that just makes the whole thing so easy. And I was... I'll, Every time I'm either completely horrified at my protein intake, to be honest, because when I get stressed out, I stop eating or I'm like, wow, I'm really hitting my macros and I feel really proud of myself. So that's great. You know, little wins, little dopamine hits. And then the registered dietitian on the other side will usually signal me. I'll get an email or a tag. It, it comes through email, but it comes through the app too. And they're like, hey, your blood sugar did a big swing. What happened? Like you didn't track anything there. What's what's What do you think what that was? And I'm like, oh, I worked out or oh, it was stress or oh, I ate ice cream or oh, I drank wine that night, you know? So it's it's very telling. And like you, I'll do it several times a year, usually three, if not four times a year, because I live in a very um, seasonal place. I live in Oregon and we have our four seasons and I'm always so interested to see how the season's impacting me and also how my overall food intake is changing, my stress, my uh, just temperature regulation, all of that, you know, how much activity am I getting? It usually declines in the winter and all of that, I'm able to really get a bird's eye view into my blood sugar handling with that system. It's, it's really cool. And it's very telling and it keeps me honest, which it's so easy. You know, you said that studies show that people are notoriously not good at remembering what they ate, but I think, you know, it's the same with anything. Like if you look at even obesity studies, people don't even categorize themselves in the obese category or the overweight category. I mean, there's just this, this uh, subjective version we have of ourselves. We're all guilty. We're all humans. The way our brains work, we will lie to ourselves constantly. And I feel like this is a great way to see what's happening and to not lie to yourself. You know, data doesn't lie. So it's it's a good one. Let me ask you quickly about, so you mentioned aromatase. Can you, for the audience, explain what that enzyme is? And then can you talk a little bit about sex hormone binding globulin and its relationship to estrogen and testosterone and how that's all playing in? Because I think that's a big factor that people don't understand. Yeah, sure. So testosterone is so interesting. It's very interesting when you look at the synthesis of like sex hormones and you see them all the way through. And when you start studying it, you realize that this is, you know, you don't, not, not one thing gets changed. Like when you see something that says, oh, boost testosterone levels or whatever, you're like, what is it doing? I want to know a mechanism. What's happening there? Because, you know, we can get into that later or something, because I did look at some supplements and develop some opinions around them. But um, yeah, so um, you know, it starts with cholesterol and testosterone is downstream from cholesterol. It's going to be, it's going to be created as a, uh, as a sex hormone, but you know, I'll spare going through exactly how testosterone is created. But so when we have testosterone, it can be kind of siphoned into two different, two different areas. It can be, um, it can be, uh, basically moves into uh, DHT or it can move into, um, uh, estrogen, right? And so we can get uh, DHT from testosterone via uh, 5-alpha reductase, uh, which is an enzyme, or we can have uh, aromatase, which is an enzyme that is going to convert testosterone to estrogen, right? There's usually a two-phase of, of, of testosterone. And 
we do need, as men, we need estrogen, just like women need uh, testosterone. But we also have a, you know, a uh, a range that our body is going to tightly keep our testosterone and our our estrogen, right? If we have all of our testosterone being siphoned off via aromatase into estrogen, that's obviously obviously going to cause some problems. And you see this uh, in um, later stages of obesity when we have a lot of inflammation going on. Um, when you have higher levels of insulin, you tend to see, uh, especially in an inflamed, insulin-resistant, more obese state, you're going to see higher levels of aromatase as well. And so with higher levels of aromatase, um, we're seeing more conversion of that testosterone to estrogen, right? And, and again, that's normal. That's how men actually get most of the, of the estrogen in their body is it's converted from testosterone. But if it's constantly at a higher rate being converted, now we have lower testosterone levels, then that can be obviously an issue. Um, and the same thing with DHT, we want it to be, you know, uh, converted over to DHT because DHT itself is extremely beneficial too for men. Um, when we look at sex hormone binding globulin, uh, this is where it gets pretty interesting too, because with sex hormone binding globulin, a lot of people don't realize is going to basically house 98% of your testosterone. And we're only going to have a very small amount that was what we call free testosterone. And this is kind of a pet peeve of mine when people get blood work done. They say, oh, my testosterone was 800. My testosterone was 900. Right. But it, as you know, it doesn't really matter. And that's kind of interesting to a lot of people. And they say, what do you mean? It's like, well, if your testosterone was, was 900 and then your free testosterone was seven, that's kind of, that's kind of bad, right? Uh, we want our free testosterone to be at least 2% or more of our total testosterone. Uh, if you go to LabCorp or look at some of the ranges given, they'll tell you like one point above 1.5% is normal. It can be below 2%, but you probably want to go and find out exactly why it is below 2% if you're hanging out at like one, one and a half percent. But that free testosterone uh, as a percentage of your total is very important. Mm -hmm. And again, this is due to it kind of just being shuttled around your body uh, bound to sex hormone binding globulin and also albumin. So uh, that that 2% available is really important. So what happens if sex hormone binding globulin is going up or down? Well, it turns out we don't really want sex hormone binding globulin to go too high and we don't want it to go too low. Yep. Um, and when it goes, it can go high in response to diabetes, um, depending on the stage of diabetes. Sometimes we see higher levels of sex hormone binding globulin, but it tends to run um, inversely to insulin. So this is why, you know, um, so to give it, to put in, give you an example, uh, type, type one diabetics tend to have very high sex hormone binding globulin. Um, those individuals with type one diabetes because insulin levels are incredibly low endogenously, obviously, right. Um, through the nature of type one diabetes. And then, uh, in uh, earlier stages of type two diabetes, you might see a very, uh, you might see a much lower, um, sex hormone binding globulin because insulin levels are really, really high. And then as it progresses, you might see, you know, obviously as the nature of insulin resistance progresses, you see lower and lower levels of, of insulin because beta cells of the pancreas are kind of getting shot out. And then uh, you might see a, a change there as well. So um, I'll kind of a lot to unpack there, but sex hormone binding globulin is super important. Um, and that notion of, uh, you know, the relationship between SHBG and insulin, super important to kind of understand. And it's a super important uh, player in the whole game, uh, you know, surrounding testosterone and its relationship to glucose for sure. When it comes to healthy hormones, healthy menopause, healthy bones, healthy joints, all of it is contingent on good metabolic health. And unfortunately, most Americans are falling short in that department. In fact, nearly 100% of U.S. adults are struggling with good cardiometabolic health. I've teamed up with the folks at NutriSense because I absolutely love their continuous glucose monitor program. They've got great customer service, a great product, a really cool app, and access to expert dietitians throughout the program. At the very least, give yourself the gift of a one-month subscription. If you're really struggling, consider a three, six, or even 12-month subscription. If you use code DRTINA, all capital letters, at checkout, you'll get $30 off your first purchase. And you're going to want to follow the link in the show notes. So I admittedly am not big on skincare. I'm nearly 50. And to say that I've slacked on my skin is a total understatement. I've recently noticed some changes, however, 
that I'm not loving. And so I finally decided to get serious. A few months ago, I reached out to my buddy, Andy, the CEO and founder of Alatura Naturals and asked him to help. He sent me the complete skincare line and... If you've not heard of Alatura yet, let me introduce you to the most natural and luxurious lotions and potions to ever grace my face. Alatura is handcrafted natural skincare. Their mission is simple, to provide customers a skincare wellness experience with products made of superior natural ingredients packed with nutrients, minerals, and natural growth factors. Alatura is the line I've been looking for and it checks off all the boxes for me. It's all natural, it's cruelty-free, it's non-toxic, it's non-GMO, and it is organic when possible. My absolute favorites are the clay mask to detoxify and really heal my skin, as well as the night cream to boost collagen and deeply moisturize. The night cream also triples as an eye and lip balm and a little bit goes a long way. Honorable mentions are the pearl cleanser and the absolutely heavenly gold serum. You can literally feel the magic of the gold serum immediately upon application. It's that good. Because I believe everybody should try Alatura, I've partnered with them and listeners of the Dr. Tina Show can save 20% off your first order by heading to alatura.com. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com. And be sure to use code Dr. Tina at checkout for the discount. That's Dr. Tina with a Y or simply click the link in the show notes. You're going to love it. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up a bit just so that everybody understands clearly what you just said. Aromatase is an enzyme that turns your testosterone into estrogen and it's higher when you have more fat on your body, particularly visceral fat and belly fat guys. So if you're, I always tell guys, like if you're rocking a gut, get rid of it. Getting rid of your gut, working All your efforts around getting rid of your gut is one of the best things you can do for your testosterone so that you're not creating a depot of aromatase enzyme because then you're just turning everything into estrogen. And we need, men need some estrogen, but when it gets too high, you know, when, when folks were looking at the data several years ago on, you know, oh, TRT replacement therapy is dangerous and people are having strokes, et cetera. No, the TR, the testosterone wasn't the problem. It was the estrogen that it was turning into. And so if your doctor's not keeping an eye on your estrogens when they have you on testosterone replacement therapy, a big problem. Um, And then sex hormone binding globulin is basically the protein shuttle of that testosterone. And so you could have great free total, I'm sorry, total testosterone. And a a lot of doctors will run it if you ask, and they'll even give you testosterone replacement, but they won't look at your free T. And what's free is what the cells have to use for the body to use cellularly. So we want a good, healthy free T level and somewhat irrelevant of what that total T is to me. I When I see a high total T, I'm like, what are the estrogens? What's the free T? What's the sex hormone binding globulin? Because another weird caveat, which you might understand better than I do, your sex hormone binding globulin will go up in response to high insulin, but it will also uh, go up in response to really low, low carb diets. Like I see it in carnivore people. Why is sex hormone binding globulin going up? Is it because their insulin is so low? Like what's the, I don't, I don't quite understand it. I think that is the uh, generally kind of accepted mechanism there. Yeah. I've heard quite a few few people talk about it and you do see that in some of the literature. Uh, it's, it's not in a whole lot of the literature though. It's, it's interesting to me because a lot of times you'll see um, studies uh, that look at, oh, well, you know, um, higher fat, higher fat, ketogenic style diet increased um, total testosterone levels, right? And a lot of these studies, you don't see a free T being tested or SHBG or anything like that. Um, But yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, I think that's what's going on. Uh, If we are on a lower carb diet for a prolonged period of time, uh, insulin levels are going to drop lower. Uh, Insulin is a hormone. And like I said before, you don't just change one hormone. It's like, oh, we're going to lower this hormone. We're going to lower this. We're going to increase this enzyme or whatever, it's going to have a downstream effect. It just doesn't work that way. And so uh, again, insulin and SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin are inversely related to one another. So you tend to see uh, lower insulin levels with higher SHBG and lower SHBG, higher higher insulin levels is, t- is where how you tend to see it. So if uh, we're on a lower carb diet, uh, maybe a carnivore style diet, a ketogenic diet for a long period of time, we have insulin levels that are low. And uh, a lot of times that's great. Uh, you know, it's awesome. You are low, insulin levels are lower. Awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's great to see. But if we do that over time and our body is now at a kind of normal set point of having very low insulin levels, 
well, then we might see a, a sex hormone binding globulin that's been, that's been climbing as well. So now we have a higher sex hormone binding globulin, which is binding up more of our testosterone and lowering our free testosterone. And I think you, that is kind of what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I blew out my insulin response. I mean, I just have chronically low blood sugar and chronically low insulin because from decades of super low carb. And so, you know, that makes you actually, it's not great. Like that's not, you know, and then extreme burnout and stress will cause your insulin to plummet in some cases too. So just all that to not confuse the audience, but understand that there, you know, there's no exact formula here. It really depends on how that person's been eating for a long period of time, how they're moving, what they're eating, what they're doing, how much muscle they have, et cetera. But not to get all nerdy, we're kind of nerding out here. (laughs) It's hard not, yeah, it's it's super interesting. The stuff is really, really interesting because it's just, you know, whenever you think of something, you you feel the need to explain all these little mechanisms. And sometimes you're like, I don't think you need to. I do it to my wife sometimes. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm like, with oh, you. what's happening is this. And she's just like, you lost me. I know, I my husband too. My husband like glazes over and he starts making up like made up names too. So he, he has his own made up names to kind of fill in the, like as a joke. So instead of circadian rhythm, he calls it Targaryen rhythm. And if I'm looking at my phone late at night, he's like, you're messing up your Targaryen rhythm. <laughs> It's <laughs> so funny. And he's doing it in jest, you know. He's got we've got he's got a whole bunch of medical terms in in uh funny. It's like our own language. It's pretty good. So, okay, cool. This is this is epic information and I want guys to understand this. So, keep your body fat in a healthy level. We don't want it too low. We don't want it too high, but probably most Americans could err on losing a few pounds. Your fat cells are secreting and sabotaging your testosterone's best efforts. Even if you're making plenty of it, it's kind of getting gummed up in the works of the metabolic dysfunction. So we want to have muscle on our bodies. We want to have low body fat. So it's about body composition, not size, right? We want good muscle mass, low low fat there, especially around the midsection, that visceral fat, really important. Uh, there's kind of a joke, like if you can't see your penis, you're probably in trouble. But I would dare to say that comes much earlier because I do want to dive into this a little bit. Men need to understand at least what I saw clinically and from all of the doctor friends I have that I've asked this question to, erectile dysfunction tends to come later than you would think. So when I would ask men about their testosterone levels, one of the first symptoms I would see is actually lack of hair on the shins bilaterally. I would see low shin hair and then I would say, hey, because I did musculoskeletal stuff. I did regenerative injection therapy. So I was always, you know, I'm looking at their knees. I'm pulling up their pant leg, checking out their knees, doing a uh, orthopedic exam. And I'd see that they had low hair or it was, it almost looks like it's balding right there on the, on the front of the shins, on the tibia. And I'd say, hey, how's your testosterone levels? And they would always punt to the erections and they'd be like, oh, I'm fine down there. And I'm like, okay, well, how's your stamina at the gym? How's uh, your recovery? How's your injury recovery? How's your healing time? You know, et cetera. They wouldn't have been in my office if they didn't have joint pain. You know, so it's those kinds of things. How's your tolerance bands? How's your temper? Because when your T goes low and your estrogen goes high, that's not a pleasant guy to be around. <laughs> Those guys are not fun. They're grumpy and they're kind of bitchy and it's a bad combo. So ladies, if you're watching your husband's demeanor shift and they're starting to get a bit of apathy, but yet they're like quick to, almost like PMSy, like quick to gripe at you or have a temper, little bit of a temper surge, maybe consider their testosterone levels all that to say, there's a lot of other symptoms that go into this, but erectile dysfunction is often later on the list. And I've also noticed a lot of men don't seem to notice the strength of their erections is starting to weaken and they don't, it's so slow and insidious that they're not seeing it happen. But if your erections are not great, your cardiovascular system's in trouble. That is 100% a blood flow issue. It is contingent on your testosterone levels, but the same exact changes are happening in your heart and in your the rest of your cardiovascular system throughout the body. So can we talk a little bit about cardiovascular health and testosterone levels and how that ties into blood sugar? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, that, that, that vascular damage can be coming from a lot of different areas, right? And insulin resistance for sure is causing that vascular damage. Um, you know, 
stress in general, <laughs> you know, is, is definitely not doing anything good for that, for that, uh, for that vascular integrity. So again, when we look at, um, insulin resistance and vascular health, it's just, it goes kind of hand in hand. We, we know that during the progression of insulin resistance, as blood sugar, blood sugar levels are higher and higher as insulin levels are higher and higher, um, advanced glycation end products, you can get into these kind of things too, which are just basically the way I usually put it is, uh, we don't want a lot of stuff in your blood. This is a lot of stuff to be in the blood at one time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you start seeing this kind of cascade of basically too many things being in the blood at once. And think of anything that is in a confined area and there's too much of it and there only should be a certain amount of it, then that's eventually going to compromise the structure and integrity of whatever's holding it. It's kind of the way I think about it and the way that I explain to members. They're like, okay, what's going on here? Are you saying glycation end products, insulin is low and high and blood sugar I just say, you know what? There's too much stuff in your blood at one time. Think of it that way. And that's going to eventually mess up the lining of these blood vessels. And um, and that's not the only angle that uh, you're disrupting your overall wellness. This is also going to impact your testosterone levels. Again, this is gonna that's going to in turn impact the nitric oxide production that leads to healthy erections. There's a lot of different angles you can kind of do this. But again, um, the insulin resistance that is definitely contributing to that vascular damage um, the fact that, that testosterone levels are lower in the setting of insulin resistance is super important to understand for sure. Cardiovascular health, insulin does a whole lot of bad things to your vascular system. It it hardens things. It makes them stiffer. It uh, keeps you, like you mentioned, it. you've got a decrease in nitric oxide. So you're not vasodilating the way you need to. Everything just kind of becomes stiff and non-compliant as it, you know, as it should be. And then the advanced glycation end products, I just tell people that their cells are caramelizing. Like it's, it's, I mean, the way I think of it mechanistically is like a caramelization of, we're supposed to have just not to get too nerdy, but like sugars, most of the cellular receptors are contingent on some kind of, uh, sugary something to make it go. Like things stick together, bind appropriately. There's always some kind of mechanism in there with glucose and we don't want those caramelizing. And then the other, I mean, just to throw another wrench in it, you'll see ferritin levels go up. Ferritin is the iron storage molecule in your blood. And when the body is inflamed, ferritin levels can increase. And I, I only say this because this is a very common thing I see in men as they hit middle age is these ever rising ferritin levels. And they're told to go donate blood to get that iron off because iron rusts. So now you've got like caramelizing, you know, heated up sugars, rusting iron. And I mean, to really make it kind of kindergarten version, right? But this is how I explain it to patients. I'm like, you've got excess iron because of the inflammation and you've got everything in there caramelizing. So you're rusting at at an increased rate inside the vessels. This is not good. So you're right. I like that what you said. Like, there's just too much stuff in the blood. It's and I call it thick blood. I'm like, your blood is thick, and this is this is not ideal. But they'll go. They'll be told to go donate blood very often. And if they don't have some kind of genetic hemochromatosis, it's more like a functional hemochromatosis. That is not a good place to be as a middle aged man, especially if you're rocking a belly and your testosterone's low and and that estrogen or I'm sorry, the T is turning into estrogen. The issue with getting ferritin back down in most cases I found clinic I saw this a lot and I because I was looking for it in clinic the best way to handle this is to get your inflammation low right and bring your inflammation down and that can really only be achieved with healthy testosterone levels and good metabolic health so again that chicken and egg kind of it's it's a vicious cycle that men will get into and they'll end up in my office in their 50s and I'm like oh this is a hot mess it's a hot mess of sludgy blood <laughs> you know and taking it all apart and trying to fix it is not as simple as just shooting testosterone. That's what I want guys to take home from this episode is that testosterone replacement therapy is so important or just optimizing, like you said, young men, I saw really low T levels in young men very often, more and more and more as I closed my practice in like 2019. Um, But from the time I got my license and was looking for this, because I was looking at metabolic health long before it was cool, 
way back when until the time I left practice, I couldn't believe the amount of young men in their 20s and 30s with just bottomed out T levels, even guys that looked relatively fit, but they were doing things like chronic cardio. You know, they were like runners or cyclists. And then as runners and cyclists age, I was just telling one of my girlfriends the other day, she's a clinician, but she didn't really know this. I'm like, yeah, every single marathon runner that I've ever treated eventually basically started bordering or dove straight into diabetes in their 50s and long distance cyclists. So there's that component too of that highly oxidative exercise where they're not building a lot of muscle and maybe they're actually in a catabolic state. They think they're doing the right thing because that's how we were taught in the 80s and my age group, you know, it was like cardio, cardio, but they're not building muscle. They're not optimizing their testosterone levels. And then subsequent, and they tend to like to drink, you know, I would throw alcohol into the mix. Like you said, there's so many factors here. And then these guys would end up with basically pre-diabetic or diabetic labs and they'd get mad at me. They're like, that's impossible. I run 20 miles a week or I cycle hundred miles a week. And I'm like, well, you look like a diabetic and they're rail thin and they don't know what's going on. So can we just touch on that for a second? Because I want I want the guys to really let this one hit home that they got to be doing the deadlifts and the squats. Mm, oh yeah. So I, I like, um, who, who gave this example one time? I want to say it was the mind pump guys. I love those guys. Those guys are great. I think it was, yeah, I think he gave this example. He said, you know, don't get me wrong. Cardio is fantastic. You know, and if you're doing cardio and that's all you're doing, you know, all for it. But cardio is kind of like cashing a check and then lifting weights is like making the investment. It's, it's investing that money, right? Uh, and this can be interesting to a lot of members that are wearing CGMs that I that I help uh, at NutriSense because they'll you see it's 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 more immediate gratification when you do cardio and see your glucose go nice down slow and steady. Uh, sometimes when you lift weights, you even see an increase, but that mm-hmm. can, that's actually expected and it's kind of interesting. All that actually means is you actually might need a little more carbohydrate in your diet because all it means is that the energy demand is exceeding the energy availability in your body, but we could, that's a separate conversation. Um, and also when you're working out, act, when you're actively working out, there's something called non-insulin mediated uptake into the cells with glucose, where you actually don't even need insulin to process that glucose out of the bloodstream into the muscles for energy. So a lot going on when you're working out that's super beneficial. But what I said about the, uh, what I meant by saying, lifting weights is more of an investment. What I meant by that was that when you develop your muscle, you have bigger glucose storage tanks. You have more ability to dispose of glucose at any given time. So when you get stronger, uh, you can talk about, oh, getting stronger versus hypertrophy versus this versus that. That's another separate conversation. But when you get stronger, you can assume there's probably going to be a little bit of uh, muscle um, gained, actual tissue that's gained. So any kind of resistance training is going to be super beneficial for your glucose, even if you don't see it uh, in the immediate, uh, you know, in the immediate future. There's definitely a huge investment you're making because developed muscle is going to store and metabolize glucose better. It's going to get it out of your bloodstream, put it somewhere that you can use it um, so that you can use it again the next time. So I I think they complement each other. I think that weightlifting and cardio is great in conjunction. I think a little bit of cardio is going to help you uh, become stronger. It's going to aid in mitochondrial function. It's going to aid in everything that helps you get through workouts for sure. But I do agree if we're just focusing on cardio or we're doing these long depleting workouts, um, if your fueling isn't on point, there's definitely going to be some muscle breakdown and some utilization of proteins for energy because we do have these proteins uh, that are made of amino acids that are glucogenic that can be used uh, to help maintain blood sugar. That is, it is possible. So a lot of different ways uh, you could just be kind of, you know, using all of your tissue for energy, which we don't want. We want strong muscles and we want, uh, you know, we want to utilize our gly- our glucose storage tanks for those longer cardiovascular workouts, but also to help build muscle for sure. Yes, yes. So do both. I think of cardio as like, not zone two, you know, I mean, that's just kind of a given, but I think of cardio cardio as, especially long distance is sort of, you got to earn it through your strength training. Because if you're, I just, you know, the New York marathon just happened and I was watching video footage of it. And I saw so many people who you could tell had gone from out of shape to training and running the marathon. And I was like, oh man, their joints, 
their joints are not happy right now. I mean, it's a lot of pounding. It's a lot of weight. And then if you've got deconditioned joints that don't have good musculature around them, they're hanging on ligaments and tendons and cartilage. And and from what you're saying basically is, you know, it kind of puts you in that catabolic state. So it's, it is, it's a really important balance. And if you're going to do chronic cardio, as I call it, make sure you're really making that investment in the bank of muscle building, because we got to, you know, we got to have something to get through it. It's really important. And it, if you don't, it's going to send your blood sugar all over the place. And that's how this, it's, it's acts as a chronic stressor and chronic stressors, uh, that's another subject we should probably close with. Stress, what is it doing to our metabolic health? Because, uh, you know, there's data to show straight up correlation between chronic stress going straight into type 2 diabetes. It's a thing. And I think it's a really underappreciated thing. I don't talk about it enough on my platform and I should. I've lived it. I've watched myself get mildly cellular insulin resistant. Nothing labs would have shown, nothing a CGM would have shown, but I was starting to get symptomatic and I knew what it was. And it's stress. So if you want to touch on that for men, because I, I don't think men really appreciate the stress they're under or maybe they don't talk about it. I don't know, but maybe coming from a man, they'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Stress is super interesting. This is probably, uh, that might be the number one like surprise that people see when they, when they wear a CGM. You know, what happened here? I ate the same thing I ate yesterday. I, I did nothing different. I say, well, this is me talking to a member, right? I say, well, it's kind of paint me the picture. What was going on in the environment? Well, I just sat down for my Zoom meeting eating the same thing. I said, oh, okay, so you were in a meeting. All right. So any stressful situation, you might not even feel it, which is super interesting, right? And I saw the same thing when I wore a CGM of looking at my glucose levels when I would give a presentation or be in a meeting. I'm like, wow, there's there's a bump there. That is definitely a noticeable bump. That is super interesting. But knowing what I know, it's, it's understandable because you know, our bodies have this mechanism when, you know, this fight or flight mechanism when we're stressed out. And, you know, it's very, I think it's well known and people know that, you know, there's this fight or flight response, right? Uh, your body doesn't know that it's not in, in physical harm, but it's still on high alert. But there's something interesting happening with glucose levels when that happens. Number one, your body is going to become a little bit temporarily insulin resistant because your body wants a lot of glucose in your bloodstream in case you have to fight. In case you have to go do something, your body wants that glucose right there, ready to go. You're also going to see more glucose being uh, released from the liver. So you have climbing glucose levels and you also have your body being in a state where it kind of wants that blood sugar there, ready to use. So this leads to high glucose levels. And uh, it's very apparent with a lot of the people that I, that I work with, for sure. It's a big deal. And it shocked me. I remember the first time I saw it, I was going to the airport and I live about an hour and a half away from the airport. So it's always a big adventure through the country in the winter while it's raining, you know, and I had this huge spike and I was, I got to the airport, scanned my NutriSense and I was like, wait a minute, I didn't even eat yet. Like, <laughs> where did that come from? And it was just like anticipatory stress. The spike was before I even started driving. It was actually when I, because I remember looking at the clock as I got to the end of the gravel driveways and it was prior to that, it was loading the car up. So it's just wild. And if you think about the kind of stress that people are under, men and women, but I think a lot, of, again, men don't really talk about it, right? You're taught to be stoic and not that you need to have like a long purge of emotions, but just acknowledging that there is stress there. And I was raised kind of like a tomboy and I was raised to be very stoic too. We don't complain, we don't gripe, we don't share our feelings and stress, like you just nailed it. Repeat that. When you're chronically under stress, your body's gonna keep you in this high glucose state because it thinks you're gonna at any second have to run away from the tiger. So you're, you're killing yourself slowly with this chronic elevation. I mean, you're quite literally working your physiology into a pre-diabetic or diabetic state. For sure. And especially if things aren't perfect outside of that, you know, maybe you have, you know, poor sleep, maybe your diet isn't on point. Maybe you're at the beginning of your wellness journey. You're trying to figure things out. Um, this is usually things that, you know, we figure out down the road because sometimes there's so many layers of the onion to kind of peel back that we notice that, oh, wow. And also th these stressful situations are having a huge impact on my glucose levels too. And uh, yeah, so like you said, this kind of perpetuating, self-perpetuating loop, kind of like the testosterone with the obesity and the inflammation and the insulin resistance. 
you know, stress can be coming from a lot of different areas too. And, you know, when we sleep poorly, was it the stress from the day, you know, or was it the fact that we slept poorly last night too? So, well, it's probably a little bit of both, right? Yep. Yep. And it compounds and it stacks just like our wellness habits stack, our unwellness habits stack. And cortisol is pro-inflammatory, I'm sorry, it's anti-inflammatory, but it is pro-fat hoarding and it will jack up your insulin and it will tank your testosterone. So chronically rocking the cortisol, maybe you're a lawyer or doctor. Like when I was in clinical practice, I was doing procedures all day long. I was like just burning through procedures all day. And some of those were very high stress, but you get so acclimated to it that you don't even realize it until you're away from it. It's like, until I'm out of the war zone, I don't realize what the war zone was like. And so I think a lot of men are working very stressful jobs as they get older. It's, you know, things don't uh, work so well because the tea's going down. They start to compensate with more sugary snacks, more just carbohydrates. You know, we go to carbs. It makes us feel better. And it's just a vicious cycle that I see with men in my age group. And regardless of even how good they looked, because I was dating in my, all through my forties, I was dating and it didn't matter even how physically fit they looked. It really came down to their stress levels and how, like you said, what are the other things they're doing? So this is why we strength train. This is why we try to you know, get our diet as on point as we can. This is why we prioritize sleep because we can't always control the stress. We can meditate, we can work on mindfulness, but we can't always control what's going to come at us or what the world's going to bring. But we can't, the, the other factors we have more control over. And so that's where we need to really double down and focus men and women as we age, especially because uh, the world's kind of a shit show. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I'm, it's like I wake up every morning and I'm like, damage report. <laughs> what happened today? I don't even want to know anymore. I, I I, literally two weeks ago just like stopped following everything and shut down all the apps. Like, I don't want to know. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's turning into chaos, but. Um, Sorry, but yeah, I'll, just to touch on that. It is interesting because nowadays, you know, I think I saw something, I, I saw something that you posted about it. Uh, simple things in our world today can help, you know, with the, with more optimal uh, you know, hormone profile, such as like getting sunlight in your eyes in the morning, not scrolling at night, like all these little things. We're just, our world is set up perfectly for, um, you know, to sit around and have hyper palatable foods and not need to move a whole lot and, you know, you know and then kind of get stuck scrolling or whatever, um, you know, stay inside, not really get outside and get the sun in our eyes. And it's just, there's so many things if you kind of, uh, can kind of tweak your environment a little bit. You can definitely move the needle too. Yes, absolutely. And we do the best we can. I'm not perfect. I don't think any of us are. So that said, a lot of ladies ask me, hey, I want to get my husband on the NutriSense uh, CGM. I know you can't make recommendations, but just what you've seen in your experience <clears throat> working with folks in that atmosphere What's a good time frame to shoot for? Do people need to do like a 14 day? Is it a three month? Like what seems to be, because I can't quite figure out for myself. I think a month, I'm pretty optimized. So a month for me is pretty telling. I usually try to go for two rounds of 14 day sensors. What are you finding with folks who've maybe never dabbled with this? What's a what's kind of a good time frame for them? I think the three month at least is a really good one to shoot for. And it's because, like I mentioned before, we tend to go through these, like I call them like seasons of eating. You know, we go through these changes and sometimes I want to see what's going to happen when I give a presentation. I want to know what happens when I'm on a podcast. I want to know what happens when I'm alone and have to take care of the dogs for the whole weekend. I want to like, I want to know what's going on in these situations. And I want to know what happens when I'm, at, I'm in that situation at the airport where I have to eat like fill in the blank food. Uh, I like to know these things. And so uh, I think three months really kind of gives you those cycles of eating. I think any any data is going to be much better than even traditional lab values that you've got. If you do a month, a month of continuous glucose data is great. And from there, it really depends on your goals. Are you someone who's just experiment oriented? You want to run as many experiments as possible? Well, then do the six month one because you can run so many experiments. And again, with all these packages, you're going to have a, a nutritionist at your side for free for the first 30 days. And they're going to be able to really lay everything out for you too. And be like, well, according to your goals and your profile, this is what I would recommend that you do with the experiments. Here's what how I would lay them out. Um, but going back to your question, yeah, I think three months 
is a good place to start to gather as much data as possible and really see um, the different situations that you put yourself in and how your glucose responds. It's pretty obvious on lab work, on blood work, that it takes about 90 days. So I would have patients come in and they'd be highly motivated. They do all the dietary changes. It's it's interesting. It's much harder to get people to do the strength training component, but I usually can get them to do the dietary component pretty quickly. And they would want to rerun labs at 30 days. And I would say, you know what, base, your serum blood is not going to really show much for about 90 days. 90 days, And it also takes about 90 days. It takes about 21 days to change a habit, but it takes 90 days to cement that habit. And so I totally agree with you. If someone's on that journey especially if they're working with a functional medicine practitioner and they're really trying to do all the things, this is a really great adjunctive tool to add in. It'll give your practitioner a lot of data to go with as well to make sure that they're on the right path. But it, uh, I mean, I, I, I wasn't practicing when these were popular. I had already stopped, you know, like I said, in 2019. I absolutely 100% would slap one of these on every single patient if I was seeing patients today. And I would track them for three months. I totally agree. Because I would correlate that with labs as well as body composition and how things are changing for them. I mean, I think it's just a really great adjunctive tool. It is, I've said this before, and for those just hearing me say it for the first time, I have an aura ring. I have literally between my regenerative medicine practice where I had hyperbaric oxygen, which I still have. I mean, I literally have every biohacking tool under the sun in my house. It's like a spa in here. I've got sauna, I've got red light, I've got everything. I've had the Whoop, I've had the Fitbit, I've had everything. That NutriSense CGM and that particular app has been easily my favorite tool and the most telling like it gives me the best information in the shortest amount of time. Uh, and if I'm starting to feel like I'm derailing for whatever reason, I'll slap one of those on and go for it again for another two weeks just to see because it snaps me right out of it. You know, it like it gets me right back into focusing on me and focusing on what I need to be doing for my optimal health. And, you know, that's the most important part, I think, at the end of the day. So anything we didn't touch on, Patrick, is there anything really important that you want the men to know? You know, there, there was one thing that popped into my head that you mentioned before, and you talked about when we were talking about how, you know, um, being on one end of the spectrum, as far as maybe this insulin resistant, um, you know, more poor metabolic health state, uh, and then also being on the on the other end where maybe we're just trying to really crush that last few percentages of, of body fat, right? We're real lean, um, we're maybe following a lower carbohydrate carbohydrate diet. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on with that is that, you know, what got you out of that oh, maybe, um, you know, overweight insulin resistant state uh, might not be the thing that's going to carry you all the way through your wellness journey. When you're getting, if you're in that state where you're just, you know, okay, I'm not, I'm going to do a prolonged fast. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something. Extreme. Okay. That's great. Like, but always be thinking the sustainable path. What is the path that I want to do that I think that I could do over and over again? Um, if I'm thinking of a, a way a way to do deadlifts, if I'm thinking of this, if I'm thinking of that, don't do it if it just sucks every single time. I mean, there's some nuance to that. Now, if it sucks a little bit, you got to do it. You got to you got to figure out a way to do things that suck a little bit. But my point is the sustainability of it. And I always talk about this with with weight training too. I say, well, what is something that you wouldn't mind doing every day? You wouldn't mind doing a few days a week. What what is it that you see yourself doing consistently? Because we know. The consistency over a year is so much more important than the intensity of one weightlifting session, you know, or five weightlifting sessions or a month of weightlifting. It's, it's so much more important. So when you're, if you're in the beginning of your wellness journey, when you're thinking of strategies in the very beginning, start think, thinking the sustainability, start thinking how sustainable is this? Um, do I see myself doing this in a year? Do I see myself doing some kind of variation of this in the future? Um, and the answer hopefully will be yes. And you have a sustainable plan in mind. Yes, I love that so much. I'll add to it because I heard somebody, maybe it was the Mind Pump guys again. If you can't keep a promise to yourself, then who can you keep a promise to? So keeping those small incremental promises consistently is, that's it. I love that. I love that you said that. I, I appreciate you adding that in. Okay, well, Patrick, where can folks find you? Uh, I know we want to send them to NutriSense to check out the subscriptions. Is there anything else you want to add that you want them to check out? Maybe the website? Yeah, NutriSense.io. Uh, if you want to sign up, you can go there and just hit get started and it'll walk you through how to sign up for the subscription. 
Uh, you can check out our Instagram. Uh, we're at NutriSense on Instagram. We have a lot of cool reels and information that we post. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Patrick Scheel, RDN, um, Eat, Lift, Perform. That's my Instagram. That's my YouTube. That's my Facebook. Uh, just me um, posting some nutrition and wellness stuff along with trying to learn skateboarding tricks into my 40s. So. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I got to check it out. I haven't seen your Instagram. Listeners of the Dr. Tina show can save $30 off any subscription with NutriSense if you guys use the link in the show notes. So be sure to use that specific link and it'll get you to your optimal savings. Um, This has been so great. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. I hope the men got a lot out of it. And uh, any any last tips as a guy going into your 40s you want to send them home with? Uh, Be consistent consistency above all else. Find find the consistent path and stick to it. I love it. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tina. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of The Dr. Tina Show comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates and delivers you information that is, well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skincare, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts. Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.